Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. The Apostle Paul in the last part of Romans from chapters 12 through chapter 16 deals with the theme of service to God. More or less, he's just saying this, in light of everything that he's written about all the way through the book of Romans, and in this long study we've been doing in Romans on, on these Sunday mornings, start back in June, I think. More or less, he says, in light of all that God has done for us, we ought to, we ought to serve Jesus. He started out in chapter 12 by telling us several things that we ought to be to help us be better servants. He told us we ought to be a living sacrifice and put our uh, bodies on the altar to Him. He he told us that we ought to be uh, a functioning member of the body. All of us have our purpose and the way we fit in uh, to the church, the body of Christ. He told us we ought to be practicing examples of love and how we need to be patient when it comes to seeking justice instead of us seeking vengeance uh, against other people. And as we come into <clears throat> chapter 13... He's still telling us something that we need to be. And what he tells us today is this. We need to, to be Christian citizens. Look at these verses as we, uh, we'll, we'll look at the verses and then we'll kind of break it down and, and bring several uh, points out of it. So uh, he says these words uh, in verse 1 through 7 of, of chapter 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Paul's writing to this group of believers in Rome. The group of believers that at this point in time is just kind of like a small group. It's not like the, the church worldwide today. And he's giving them some, some really needed information about how they need to function in the culture that they lived in. He's given instruction that's not only good for them, but good for us. You see, as Christians, the, the, the main reason we need to be good citizens, of course, is to, to honor Jesus, to serve Him better, to try and have the opportunity to change our culture. That's kind of the doctrinal reasons for it. But Paul also writes today, and he gives us some very practical reasons why we should be the best citizens that we can be. 
So if you're following along in the, in the updates in our bulletin, there's some places you can uh, fill in the blanks. And there's two main reasons that we're going to look at today of why we ought to strive to be the best Christian citizens that we should be. Here, here's the first reason. Uh, we ought to be Christian citizens for the sake of, of judgment or punishment, uh, in other words. Yeah, we ought to do it for Jesus because as Christians, we're following him. And to honor him and glorify him, we need to be the best citizens possible. But a really practical reason is this. We need to be the best citizens we can be as Christians to keep from getting in trouble. You know, to keep from incurring judgment against ourselves. And that's more or less what he's writing about in uh, in verse 1 through 4. We should be subject to governing authorities, he tells us. And the reason we ought to be so is this. God is the one that instituted government. If you look in the in the Bible, you'll see God made the family, and then God actually instituted government before he ever instituted the church. So God has a reason and, and a purpose for government. He, he's the one that brought it to bear. And, and unless God uh, allows government to be in place, it would not even be there. He's the one that instituted it. Paul wrote these words, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, now, someone may be asking, well, that involves more than, than law enforcement. It, it does. I, I recognize that and, and everything. But, you know, short of us trying to send out letters to all kinds of politicians and everything else, you know what? The entry-level involvement that we have a lot of time with government winds up being law enforcement. Because they're kind of on the front line. And they're the ones that we may have the, the first contact with. And then he goes on and says, there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, there's some words, and I, I, there's a lot of word studies today, and I'm not going to take time to go through all of them. But, uh, but he's more or less saying that, that those that are in charge, governing authorities, it can even mean a magistrate or ruler uh, or somebody he's, they've delegated influence to. But, but the phrase, there is no authority, just to be sure you understand that clearly in the Greek, it literally means absolutely no authority. So if the Bible's telling us, that Paul's telling us, there would absolutely be no governing authority if God was not the one that instituted it, if God's not the one that arranged it or appointed it, then that ought to give us a different perspective as to why we obey the laws of the land. It's not just in order that we might avoid being in trouble, but it's this. God put the authority there. God put the government in place. And if he instituted the government, there's a reason for it. And, and we need to recognize that. And, and it's really like we're being obedient to God instead of just thinking, well, we're having to obey certain laws in the land or whatever. Now, and I haven't said that. You need to be aware of a couple of things. Number one, just because God instituted government does not mean that all government will be Christian. It does not mean that all government will always do what is right. Neither does it mean that when, you know, there's tyranny in government like there exists in parts of the world, that doesn't mean that it's God's fault either. What Paul's simply saying is this, God is the one that instituted this government authority. And he gives really needed advice to these Christians in Rome. Because had they went about it the wrong way, I mean, think about it. They're kind of like a small 
group of believers to start with. Had they started thumbing their nose at Rome right on the bat, what probably would have happened to them? See, at the time Paul's writing here, the persecution's not hit yet. Persecution will be on the way. And yes, Christians will be persecuted there in, in Rome by Nero and others and, and things that I'll probably try and mention a little bit later. But right now it's not happened. And he's giving them some advice that what you need to do is this. You need to understand God put the governing authority in place. Paul doesn't go to one of two extremes. He, he does not say that I want you to be like the zealots were. There's a group in, in Judaism, in Israel, who were zealots, and they thought, you know, by, by warfare and plotting and everything like that, they would just chase off the Roman government. And that's not what Paul is recommending at all. You know, we have elements in our society today that will do things like bomb abortion clinics in the name of Jesus. And somehow that makes it all right because it's in the name of Jesus. You know, I believe abortion is wrong. I believe abortion is murder, but that doesn't make it right to go and bomb an abortion clinic or shoot someone that's a doctor that works there. That completely perverts the, the image of Christianity and what we ought to be about. Neither did Paul say because if government is bad, you ought to go off into the desert and be like this sect that lives off by yourself and kind of withdraw from government. That's not what he tells them either. That's not the intent of it. You see, he's really telling them they need to live within the structure of government because it's by living within the structure of government that they can have the freedom to worship, that they can even try and change culture. And that's our ultimate goal as Christians is to try and change lives and change culture. And if you're all the time fighting against it or withdrawing from it, you won't get that accomplished. Paul is not telling them to do either one of those two extremes whatsoever. See, a lot of times we may wrestle and we say, well, why in the world does God let bad rulers exist? Well, he did it a lot of times even for his own purposes in the Old Testament. There are times that God allowed heathen kings to be in charge to teach his people a lesson because they were involved in idolatry and things like that. If you want a picture of God using government in a way that we might think, God, why in the world would you use government in, in some type of negative way? Think about this. The Roman Empire was in charge, and it was kind of through their rule that Jesus was put on the cross. God used them even as a means to crucify his own son, that God's perfect will might be carried out, that salvation could be offered to mankind. God can use even bad government sometimes. And he intends to use it sometimes because he's wanting just to, to carry out his will. You see, we ought to be subject to government authorities because failing to do so ultimately is you and I doing this. It's you and I resisting God. It's not just resisting the government. If we fail to be submissive to the government authorities that God has instituted, then we're not just resisting laws of the land. We're actually resisting God. And he said, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. Uh, some of the words that's used there, more or less it means this. It means if we stand opposed, you know, it, it, therefore he said, you know, God instituted the government authority. That's what he's saying in light of God having done that. If we arrange ourselves against government, if we stand opposed to the governing authorities, what we're actually doing is standing opposed to God. We we're standing against what God's will is because he's the one that allows authorities to be in place. Now, I understand, you know, sometimes we might wrestle with, uh, uh, you know, trying to, to feel like we can really um, respect, you know, government sometimes if, if, you know, if the philosophies aren't what we agree with. 
or, you know, sometimes we're awful bad if our party, you know, uh, is not in charge or whatever the case is. But see, here's the deal with it. We can respect the office. We can respect the position. We can respect the fact that God instituted it, whether or not we can always agree with a person. And for Christians, that's the viewpoint that we have to have. We have to recognize that, that, that God doesn't advocate, that Jesus doesn't advocate, the Bible and Paul is not advocating, that we ought to be rebelling or refusing to obey the laws of the land unless there's this major rift between what we know God says is correct. You see, you, you raise this question, is, is there ever a time that we should not submit to government? And if you look at Jesus and, and, and the apostles and other people in the, in the Bible, the apostle Paul and others, they, they never ever resisted government for their own preferences or for their own purposes or for what they wanted. It only happened when government was directly opposed to what they knew God's will is. And, and that's the only time I think a Christian has any kind of, of right to consider not going along with what the government has to say. See, look what was said in Acts chapter 4, verse 18 and, and 20. So they called them, and talking about some of, the, some of the apostles, some of the disciples, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them this, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. Later on in Acts chapter 5, the, the same kind of response takes place. And, and Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. And sometimes the disciples had to do that. And sometimes the apostles did it. They did it in danger of their own security and their own safety and ultimately even lost their lives many times because of it. But unless that is the rift that's taking place, unless, unless you have some type of government that is directly opposed to what you know is clearly God's will for your life, you have no right to be rebelling against government and refusing to obey it, unless you know it's directly opposed to God's will. Well, what if I do it and it's directly opposed to God's will and I rebel? I might get in trouble. Yes, the, the disciples did. And some of them lost their lives. You know, when you look at the world culture today, you know what you'll discover? It's in areas where Christianity is being persecuted, regrettably, that Christianity is on fire the most. Because we're kind of comfortable here, and we've got used to our freedoms and our you know, securities and everything else. But you go to parts of the world to where Christianity is being persecuted, and instead of it being snuffed out, it's like it you know, pours oil on the fire or something, and, and Christianity is spreading all the more. We, we ought to obey government. We ought to obey the laws of the land because God put government in place. He instituted it. And if we resist that, we're resisting God, not just the government. But we also ought to be subject to the governing authorities for this reason, to avoid judgment. He said in the last part of verse 2, And those who resist will incur judgment. If we are standing opposed to authority, if we are standing opposed to the laws of the land, it's like we actually uh, incur or take hold of judgment against ourselves. There, there's three things I, I, I want you to notice in, uh, in verse 3 and following. One's a principle. And the principle is just basically this. Do good instead of evil and you don't have to worry about being punished. 
If you have government functioning the way that government is supposed to function. You and I as Christians, if we would just do good instead of evil. Because he said rulers are not a terror to the good conduct, but to the bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then here's what you need to do. Do what is good and you'll receive his approval. When uh, Some of the words that's used there in the, in the original uh, Greek... When he, the word phobos, we get our word phobia from it. So, you know, you, you think of people having a, a phobia about heights and everything else. Well, you know, if you don't want to have that kind of fear or phobia from government, what you need to do is do what is, is right, what is good. I mean, most of you know we went into, uh, in the prison ministry over at Alexander Prison a couple weekends ago. And that was my second time to go into the Kairos prison ministry. And, and the guy that, uh, the guy that I was sponsoring, that I met first and, and talked to and sat, uh, with him. By the way, he sent me a letter, uh, since I've been in there. And, and the guy that was involved in Islam, the, uh, the one whose nickname was Jihad Joe that came to Christ, he sent me a letter also. Matter of fact, he went up to the superintendent of the prison and thanked him for allowing us to come in and, and said he's going to continue to serve Jesus. But, but the guy that I was sponsoring, he had been in a, in, in, in kind of a gun battle. I, I probably must involve maybe some drugs or gang activity and things like that. And he got out of the hospital somehow and they had not arrested him yet. And he'd been on the run for a little while. He went to the coast and tried to live there. And, and finally, you know what happened? Finally, he, he got tired of looking over his shoulder and he turned himself in. Because he was just tired of that. So if you don't want to have a phobia about government being after you, then just do good conduct instead of doing the bad. He even says, would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? And that's kind of an interesting phrase in the Greek because more or less it means this. You have a choice. You can prefer, if you don't want to be afraid of law enforcement, if you don't want to be afraid of government, here's the way that you do that. You just do what is right. You just do what is good. You just obey the laws of the land. As long as it is not violating you something you know that God has clearly said in his word, you obey the laws of the land. There's a, a purpose also, not just a principle, do good instead of evil, but, but there's a purpose there in, in the first part of verse 4. And the purpose is this, servant for your good. It, it says for he, talking about the governing authority, and you know we're focusing on that, like I said today, as, as law enforcement. It, it said for he is God's servant for your good. Literally means to be an attendant to the Almighty God. To be running errands for God. Same word, a form of the same word is even used uh, and translated in the New Testament as pastor or deacon. And, and it said that that person, that governing authority, is God's servant for your benefit, for your good. That, that's why God placed them there. Th- think about the constraints we have in society. You, you, you see th- th- things like Speed limits aren't there just because the highway patrol want to be spoil sports or anything like that. There, there, there are other reasons for the laws that we have in our land. Can, can you imagine our culture, our society without any laws? I mean, think about that for a moment. <laughs> Listen to the news, read the newspaper, see the things that happen with us having laws in place, with us having people in place to enforce the laws. Can you imagine what our nation would be like if there were no laws? 
Or can you imagine what our nation would be like if there were to be no one to enforce the laws of the land? See, we need to be the best citizens that we can. There are people that are there to enforce the law, but it is for our good. And too often, people in our culture look at it like they're against you. They're not against you. They're for you. They're they're providing safety for you and safety for your children as they're on the highway or go to school or whatever whatever it is. They're, They're there for your benefit. Now, I joked around when I first came out, and I said, well, the real reason we, you know, that we are having this today so I could you know, wear my old badge and my patch, and, and I serve as a chaplain with the Blue Knights, which is a law enforcement motorcycle club. I, I was joking about that, uh, and, and I'm not doing it today just because I'm former law enforcement, because I recognize, you know, some of you are nurses or teachers and things like that, and you might be thinking, well, why didn't we have a teacher Sunday or, or a nurse Sunday? Well, Romans 13, we're going through the book of Romans, and that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about governing authorities. And our entry level there is law enforcement. So I'm not doing it just because I used to be in law enforcement for 10 years. Because I'll be honest with you, I'll confess to you this morning, most of the time that I was in law enforcement, I did not even know this passage of Scripture existed. And I did not even know that I was supposed to be considering myself kind of like God's servant. And I'll be more transparent than that had I known it. Had, had I been aware of it, had, had, had I understood that, that, that I was supposed to be God's servant, even when I was in law enforcement, it probably would have tempered the way I acted sometimes, the way I responded sometimes. Now, I didn't ever try and start out here. I tried to start out here. Those guys back there understand that you start out here, the only thing you've got left is to go to a billy club or a flashlight or a gun. So I tried not to start out here. I tried to start out here. I was willing to go here if I had to, but I wanted to start out down here with somebody. But even made me trying to do that, if I had understood that I was supposed to be God's servant, it would have changed the way I did some things in law enforcement. You know, the reason why we're really having law enforcement Sunday in light of these scriptures, really two reasons. One, for you to understand that those guys are not your enemies. For you to understand that there's a reason for having laws in the land, and also for maybe them to be reminded that they're to be God's servants, that they're to be God's, God's ministers. They're even called that a little bit later in, in, in the passage that we're looking at today. There, there's a principle, do good instead of evil. There's a purpose there, your servant for good, but then there's also a, a punishment. <laughs> the sword's not carried in vain because in the last part of verse 4, it says, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now, that loses a little bit of its teeth because of the change over the years. Let me bring it up into modern times. If Paul were writing that today, he might say this, the law enforcement officer is God's servant, and he doesn't carry the Glock in vain. Okay, does that make it a little bit clearer? Instead of the sword? If Paul were writing today, he might have said this, bad boys, bad boys, what are you going to do when they come for you, bad boys? Kind of, kind of the message that's being communicated there. God instituted government, so we need to obey it because he put it in place as long as it doesn't violate his principles. And when we fail to do so, what will ultimately happen will be punishment. He said if you do wrong 
If you do what is injurious, if you do what is deprived, some of the words that he uses there, if you do what is evil, he said you do need to be afraid. You do need to have this phobos that we were talking about earlier, this phobia, because he is not carrying the sword in vain. Now, the, the sword, the word for sword there, referred to a, a special sword that, that a Roman uh, leader would wear, and it represented his authority. And he's saying government does not bear that authority in vain because God is the one that instituted it. And that person can be God's avenger to carry out God's wrath on people who are doing wrong. See, we can't use our freedom. I know we've been set free in Christ, amen? But we can't use our freedom in Christ as an excuse to break the law, you know? Like, the theologian Sammy Hagar said, I can't drive 55. Or because I've been set free in Christ, I, you know, I'm just not going to drive 55. I'm going to drive 85. Well, see, the problem with that is some of these guys will probably give you a blue light special when you're doing that. And you incurred it upon yourself. It's not their fault. You incurred it upon yourself because you chose to violate the law. I mentioned another instance from the prison last week, and I'm just going to tell part of the story this week. But you, you remember the guy I said at the table who uh, who finally opened up on Sunday, and he said that he that his problem was he had hated God because of his situation. He's in a wheelchair. He had been shot six times, so I wanted to find out a little bit more about that because he said I'm mad at God because I'm in a wheelchair because I've been shot six times. And then the more I draw out of him, he finally says, "Well, I was running from the law." So I thought, okay, that explains it a little bit. And then he says, and I shot at him twice. And I thought, man, don't you be mad at God for that. That's your fault. You know, you chose to do that to yourself. You chose to violate the law in that way. And you, and you incurred judgment upon yourself. We need to be the best example of citizens we can be as Christians because God instituted the government. But not just for judgment's sake. We ought to also be the, the best Christian citizen, we can be for the sake of conscience. In other words, not just to keep yourself out of trouble. Not just to avoid punishment. There's a higher reason for you and I as Christians that we ought to obey the laws of the land, that we ought to be the best citizens we can be. And it's simply for, for conscience' sake. We need to, we need to obey the the laws for our own conscience sake. We need to be, he, he said, therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, and that's not the only reason that we are to obey the laws of the land, but, but also for the sake of, of conscience. We are to, to consider ourselves underneath the laws of the land, put underneath the laws of the land in an orderly manner is what the word actually means that he uses there in the Greek. And we're to do so not just because of God's wrath, not just to avoid punishment, but we're to do it for our own moral conscience. We're to do it for the right reason because we're aware that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Now, that's true of all human beings. But for you and I as Christians, the Bible teaches the moment we receive Christ as our Savior, God, the Holy Spirit, came to live inside of us. We've got all the more reason and all the more direction than anyone else to obey the laws of the Lamb because of our conscience, because the Holy Spirit is there to guide us. And the Holy Spirit is there to tell us that we need to, to do things like obey the laws of the land. You guys are going to really appreciate this one <laughs> because of the time of year that it is. Pay taxes for conscience sake. 
I was joking with someone earlier. I was saying, well, we're going to lose a whole lot of people today from church membership at day three because I'm going to tell them they ought to pay taxes. I, I, it's not fun, is it? And most of you have just taken a hit, you know, because of some changes and everything like that. And you've been working on your, your taxes and, and all. But look what Paul writes. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God. Attend to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes is owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. He tells us we ought to, we ought to complete the debt. We ought to pay everything. Now you'll agree with the word for taxes. Look what the word for taxes means. A load. Amen? <laughs> a load as born. A load that you're carrying. But the reason we ought to pay it is that God considers them ministers of God for this very reason. They are attending to the taxes, the load that is born. And we ought to pay the total sum that is owed. We ought to pay the, the, the revenue that is, that is owed. I found when I was studying, uh, this past week that, that our, our federal government, I found out some cities have this also. They, they have a fund that's actually called conscience fund. And what the conscious fund is, it's a way that people can pay their debt to ease their conscience because they've cheated on their taxes without having to get their name involved. So there's actually a way you can go to the IRS and pay back taxes to ease your conscience. They don't know it, but you know it, and you're needing to pay it to get the monkey off your back, more or less, because your conscience is being bothered because you're not paid it. Some cities have it. I read the story about this city that also had the conscious fund, and they had been doing some research, and they announced that they had found out some people had been cheating on their city taxes, and they were getting ready to file charges. <laughs> now, that hit the newspaper, and before the names were ever even exposed, they had a line of people showing up at City Hall to pay their taxes, and some of the people's names were on the list, and they didn't even know they hadn't paid their taxes, but their conscience kicked in and got involved. I heard kind of a similar story that a pastor told one time. He was out at night, and he saw one of his deacons out with this woman at night that happened not to be the deacon's wife. And he went into the pulpit the following Sunday, and he told his congregation what he had seen. And he said, if you don't have a letter of repentance on my desk, by next Sunday, I'm going to expose who you are. The problem is he got more than one letter. <laughs> Conscience started intervening. So for our conscience' sake, we ought to obey the laws of the land. For our, for our conscience' sake, we ought to even pay taxes. And, and here's, here's a reason for that. Sometimes you might wonder, why in the world do I have to pay taxes? It, it helps keep these guys on the road and in their places. That's just part of it. But, but that's what we're focusing on today. We would not have them to help watch over us and help provide safety if we didn't pay our taxes. So that's, that's the reason why we ought to do it. But we also ought to do this. We ought to respect authority for conscience sake. Because Paul finishes up by saying this. Respect, not only should we obey the laws of the land because of conscience, not only should we pay our taxes because of conscience, but he said we also ought to do this. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. He, he said we ought to 
We ought, to, we ought to show respect and honor, value and esteem authority and government, at least the position. If you can't agree with the person, you can understand God instituted the position. The line is drawn, however, when it comes to worship. Je- Jesus said this, a group of people came to him and they were kind of trying to trick Jesus up and, and they said, tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus was aware of their plot, their malice, and he said, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. Then, then Jesus, then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but to God the things that are God's. In other words, you ought to pay the taxes to Caesar, but here's the deal. You render to God what belongs to him, and God gets our worship. We worship God, not government. And that's why Christ has to come first. Not a political party, not a politician, not what we want even in our own lives. Christ has to come first, and we worship God. Peter said something really similar to this whole text that we're looking at this morning in Peter chapter 2, verse 11 through 17. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. In other words, we're just passing through this world. This isn't our final home. To abstain from the passions of flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may, so that they, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. In other words, in the day of judgment. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor or the king. Depend on your translation. More or less, he said, we ought to obey the laws of the land because it preserves our testimony and who we ought to be. And we ought to honor government that's instituted because God is the one that put government in place. Wittingly or unwittingly, government authorities are God's servants. And they're put in that position to do good for the citizens. What happens if they don't do what they ought to do for the citizens? What happens if the government goes awry? God instituted government, they will answer to Him. Not us. They will answer to Him. A lot of times we'll come up with excuses and say, well, but my party's not in charge, or the person I voted for didn't win, and we'll try and come up with all kinds of excuses. Why? We ought to have adverse feelings toward government. Look at what Paul wrote to Timothy. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceable and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Can I tell you who was in charge at the time Paul wrote that to Timothy? You ever heard of a guy by the name of Nero? Nero that set Rome on fire and tried to blame it on the Christians so the Christians would be persecuted. 
Nero that threw garden parties and put Christians on poles and burned them alive to light the night while he had his parties. That's the government that was in charge when Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, pray for those that are in authority. So I'm just guessing, guys, if they were told to pray for Nero, I think we can pray for whoever's in authority in our nation. And we ought to do that. We ought to pray for those who are in authority. Oh, there was coming a day when the Christian could not go to their altar because they were trying to force them to do this. You have to come to the altar and drop incense on the altar and say, Caesar is God. There was coming a day that they would not do that and it cost them their lives as a result. We're not there yet. I don't know if we'll ever get there, but we may very well get there in our own nation, our own culture. And when that day comes, we can't stand there and throw incense on the altar and say, government is God. Because Jesus is God. And we have to have our worship lined up in the right way. Really kind of a simple message this morning. We need to be the best citizens we can be for two main reasons. To avoid punishment. And simply to do what's right because our own conscience tells us what's right. So how do we do an invitation today? Well, I'm going to ask the band if they would to come up uh, as I finish talking here, and, and we're going to, I'm going to wait and, and pray in just a moment. But as always, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, that's what this time is about. I know the message, you know, has is, is been a different kind of message today, but it's right from the Bible. But if you don't know Christ as your Savior, God loved you so much, He sent Jesus, His only begotten Son, to die on the cross for your sins. So, uh, but uh, so if you don't know Christ as your Savior we're going to invite you as they sing in just a moment to please come and if you've got questions about that we'd love to, to share with you more about it for the rest of us that already know Christ as our Savior inside the update today there's a little flag graphic and if you did not get an update, there's some up here on the stage. And what we've been doing all through this part of Romans as we've talked about being servants of God is during the invitation, I've invited, I've invited you to come forward during the invitation and to put something on the cross. Some of you have come forward and volunteered to serve in certain, certain capacities. Some of you have come up and just stuck a commitment up here saying that, that you want to be a practicing example of love. Last week, some of you wrote down names of people that maybe you had bitterness against that you needed to forgive. And you've been really impatient. Instead of waiting for God to bring justice, you've tried to practice vengeance yourself. And some of you came up and wrote names down and put them on the cross. What I want to invite you to do this morning is simply this. As, a, as your commitment as a Christian, that you want to be the best Christian citizen you can be, I invite you as the band plays in just a moment, just come up and stick that flag on the cross. And you guys that are in law enforcement, as they're doing this, I'd love for you to come stand at the front because we want to close in just a few moments by praying for you guys. Father, we pray you take this time and use it for your honor and for your glory. Father, if there's someone here that does not know your Son and Savior, we pray that you speak to them. Lord, for those of us that do, God, it's easy for us to get frustrated with government or, or laws sometimes or law enforcement. Father, I pray you help us to, 
have a fresh awareness today that you put government there and, and you've put them there for our good and, and to help us, not just because of, of the danger of judgment, but because of our own conscience sake to do what's right. Lord, help us right now to make commitments to be the best citizens we can be. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.